0: welcome to our spring semester of bible study at trinity presbyterian church i'm susan and if you were with us last semester this is going to be just the same but if you're joining us for the first time welcome we're so excited you're here um, if you have any questions ever please you can find my contact information on our website or just ask a friend whoever told you about the study i'm sure they have my contact information and um, help, let me help you Figure things out. If you need a book, if you need a group, if you just have questions, um, I'm here to help. I may not have the answers, but I will help you find them. So I want to say thank you. This Bible study is going to last 10 weeks. Um, We're going to skip the week of spring break, but this should end before Easter. And also, just so you know, we're having a women's retreat at the end of April, so just tuck that away. We are hoping that will be in person. So, anyway, just wanted to do a lot a lot of those kind of little uh, housekeeping things. Also, this whoa, this is the book that we're using. And so, um, please let me know if you need one. We'll have those at Connell at the church after worship. And we will also have those on my front porch at the church office. If you need one mailed to you, we are happy to do that. So... Hopefully you will listen to this and do your homework before you meet with your group. Um, This is going to be a little different than Genesis in that Genesis was um, a lot of stories. Hebrews is going to be shorter, let that truck go by, Um, or motorcycles. And, uh, but Genesis was like a lot of stories. So you might would read two or three chapters and it was like a story. And then you answer some questions or we talk about it. But Hebrews is shorter, but it is dense. And a lot of what the writer of Hebrews does is refer to a lot of Old Testament stuff. So if you read about something and go, what is going on? You're among friends. Sometimes on the side of your Bible, it'll have little notations. And if the writer of Hebrews um, is saying something in my Bible, it might be italicized. Look in the margin and it may be that he's quoting a psalm or he's referring to something from the Old Testament. So the homework is written to be brief, is written to be kind of not take a lot of time. So I was not able just to include a ton of let's go in the Old Testament and look that up. So if you have questions, you're probably uh, right there with some other, others of us. So ask them, and hopefully the, the lectures will be able to explain some of that better than maybe the homework. So I think that is all. Um, you'll get a Friday email with the lecture in it. Um, in this Friday's email, I'm going to include a little brief video summary of Hebrews, and I suggest you click on that just to get an overall view of it. So um, let's pray, and let's get into Hebrews. Lord, you're so good to us that here we are after the holidays and there's nothing like a fresh start. And we thank you that at every start you are there. And even when we have terrible starts, you're there to help us. We pray that you would build up this group of women, not only in the individual lives, but in our our lives together at Trinity and beyond in your kingdom, that we would be faithful servants, that you would make us strong and brave, and that we would not neglect such a great salvation that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has done for us. We thank you that we get to look specifically at Him this semester, and I pray that your Spirit would increase our hearts so we can glorify Him, love Him, respond to Him, and live for Him as He deserves and and for His honor. In His name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... I love to start a Bible study by connecting dots. And so last semester we studied Genesis and we see what started the whole problem. In Genesis 3, sin entered the world. Adam and Eve wrecked it with their eating of the fruit. God had asked them not to, told them not to, and sin entered the world. And we see in Hebrews how God solved that. Remember in Genesis like around 3, 15, God tells Adam and Eve, "Look, you're going to have a son and he is going to bruise the he's going to crush the head of Satan. Satan's going to bruise him, but your son is going to crush Satan." So, we get to see by studying Hebrews the like the realization of that coming true. And also, if you think back to the year before in Bible studied, when we studied Luke all year, and remember at the end when the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus is with them, and they don't realize it's Jesus, and they're so upset because this guy that they had been following, they thought he was God and he died and he was buried and then there's some rumors some of the women said they had seen him and they were just really confused and actually it looked like they were just kind of leaving town to go back to whatever you do after you've tr- thought you had the answer to all problems and it died and jesus went back to the old testament and he tied it all together from genesis to present day look this is what the prophets were talking about Look, he had to suffer. The Messiah had to suffer. He had to be, uh, he had to die to win, so to speak. And so we see Luke tying Jesus with the Old Testament. And actually, I've heard at least one person I've listened to say he thinks Luke wrote it, although we do not know, because there's a lot of that. If you start looking at Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews looks at the Old Testament and uses it heavily to connect dots to Jesus and how He was the Savior that was promised and how He seals the deal. That the promises God made, all those covenant promises we talked about last semester, Jesus does it. Remember, the covenant promises all along the way were like getting sonogram pictures during a pregnancy. You get to see maybe there's a little bitty thing, there's a dot that... People go, here's my baby. You're like, I see a dot, but it's a baby. Um, Then maybe in a few months, you see the little dot has arms and legs and maybe is swimming. And then the dot is the size of like a little bitty, I don't know, eggplant or something. And then all of a sudden you hear the baby was born. Hebrews is saying all these sonogram snapshots were great, but the baby has been born. We're not going to go look at the snapshots and snap the pictures of the baby, the sonogram pictures anymore. We're going to talk about the baby. And we're going to explain how this man, Jesus, is the same baby you saw in all the sonogram pictures. So that kind of sets up what Hebrews is about. Um, Just some other little details if you like this kind of stuff. Like I said, the author is unknown. Some people have thought it was Paul. Some people may have thought Luke. We just don't know. So we're not going to say. So you'll hear me say, the writer of Hebrews a lot. Um, He was thoroughly acquainted with the pre-Christian Greek translation of the Old Testament and um, we think the date he is writing this is before the temple fell in 70 AD because something that major would have been included in his writing and he talks about the sacrificial system as a present-day reality, as something that is still happening. Um, so the letter was written primarily to Jewish converts to Christianity so these would be people very familiar with the Old Testament and these were people that that were used to their family celebrating Jewish holidays the Jewish system of sacrifices and observation of days and all those things Um, this letter is oh my goodness (laughs) the letter is written um, to these people who have been through persecution. They've been through persecution and there's another wave coming. And so you hear the writer referring to ways they had done great in the past, but frankly he's telling them they've gotten soft and they better get ready. And he is trying to get them ready. And you hear this urgency. Um, These Christians are probably in Rome and um, there, there is a hard persecution coming. If you know your history of Nero and just how horribly they treated Christians, um, is scary. Like I'm just, if I were a woman in that church, I would have been scared to death. I would have been like, I'm going to pack my bag and go in the country. I mean, I would have been a chicken. So they do have a lot coming at them, and the writer is addressing that he is going to sound urgent sometimes he's going to sound encouraging sometimes and honestly there's this intensity he has um and uh, i read a great blog and i'll put it in the notes for you to read it if you like but he's a bad teacher and and i mean this in the best kind of way so there's a soccer player who said he had a coach that was a bad teacher in the best kind of way and what he meant was this coach wanted him to do his best and he would push him and encourage him and probably yell at him, whatever coaches do, to get the best out of that athlete. Um, the The closest thing I had to this, because I was not an athlete, was my chemistry teacher, Dr. Arnold. And everybody was scared of Dr. Arnold. She was notorious as being the hardest chemistry teacher. She also taught physics and sometimes other things that I never taught, got, but you couldn't get through high school without the gauntlet of chemistry and she was the only chemistry teacher. So I would just look at ninth grade chemistry and just shake thinking, I will never ever, this is the scariest thing I've ever done. And I I liked school. And sure enough, I got into Mrs. Arnold's chemistry and she pushed us and she was tough and she had hard tests and it'd be like you have five questions on the whole test and you had to get them all right to pass it felt like I mean it was just bad and then the next year I took physics from her which was, I may have been worse and then I took and by this point I'm not sure um I took some some kind of computer class and this dates me when like We got Apple computers, which was a huge deal for a school, and we had to write computer programming. And when I tell you that I was so bad at that, like I don't even think my brain had developed enough to understand the concept. And I was scared to death. I cried, I worked, all this stuff. But let me tell you, I was ready for college when I graduated from Manchester Academy because Mrs. Arnold was tough, that she cared about me and she would teach me and she would not let me get away with a a B effort. Uh, She wouldn't just not care if I did a good grade. And one time I made a terrible grade and then I made a good grade in her writing on my paper, talking about how it was good and she was so proud of me for studying hard and learning it because she knew how bad I was at it. Like, I think I still have that paper. I think it's like in my attic keepsake box. (laughs) Because it meant so much to me. Okay, she was, the, she was a bad teacher in the best kind of way. And this preacher, this writer of Hebrews is sending this message like that kind of teacher. And so some of what we're going to study is jarring. And we're going to talk about the unforgivable sin and stuff like that. I mean, some serious, scary stuff. But I want you to hear it from that kind of teacher's heart. So it is written. People call it a letter, but really it's more like a sermon. It's like he's just—he's got this sermon he wants to tell them, but he's not in person, so he has to write it. It's not introduced like a letter, like I, Susan, write you, you know, from Fort Worth, that kind of thing. It's not like one of those Paul letters where he introduces himself and has a closing. It's more like a sermon. So the best thing I could think of, like today, is like. A preacher who preaches something and then goes and writes a blog about it and we read the blog. So I guess we're kind of looking at it that way. It's the blog of Hebrews. But anyway, um, he calls his work a word of exhortation. He really, really cares about them and wants them to be ready and wants them to, to be in shape for what's coming. So the basic bottom line theme of Hebrews, though, is the absolute supremacy of Christ and as he is revealed and as he is a mediator of God's grace. So wh- how is this going to apply to us? Because frankly, I've been struggling. Um, how, how do all these stories and references to sacrifices and Aaron as high priest and Melchizedek, this like, character from way back when, how, what's that have to do with me? Because frankly, right now, you know, the Capitol has been stormed and I'm not sure what the, if we're going to have a president in two weeks or not. I mean, life around us is crazy. And so what does Melchizedek have to do with Susan in Fort Worth? What's he have to do with my children needing help and my marriage needing help and my health and my parents, health, and all the things I'm struggling with on a daily basis. So we, know, we want to see some of these are overarching themes of application too as we enter this book. And the first one is we want to see Christ as better than anything else we got. He is the way towards, to be saved. He is the Savior. He seals the deal. He is the last word of God as far as who God is and what our salvation's about. He is it. Um, he is the one like, that solves the problems we saw in Genesis. Um, and so we may not struggle like the original listeners to, you mean I don't have to go to the temple and sacrifice every day anymore? We may not struggle like they do about that, but we're going to struggle to lay down our works and the things we do cling to to be saved. Um, we may not face the same persecution that they're gonna face, but another application we need to deal with is we can get lazy like they did. We can get soft, we can not, you know, we can kinda of, kinda of, kinda of lay off the gas a little bit, especially in COVID. No one knows if you're at church or not. You can say that, you know, you just put COVID on it and everybody excuses you. Which some in some ways can be awesome about the stuff we don't wanna do, like maybe going to parties or having parties or or, you know, all the things you don't you feel like, oh man, I want to I don't have to have that. I don't have to have the big birthday party for my kid this year. Now some of us are sad because we love doing that thing, but for the introvert, COVID could be kinda of have some silver linings. But so much of what we can do nowadays is just say, ah, I'm just going to do the basics. I'm just going to get up. Nobody's really holding me accountable. Nobody cares if I'm at Bible study or listening to this podcast. And God cares. And the writer of Hebrews cares. He's saying, look, you've got to heed this. Some bad stuff can happen if you neglect so great a salvation. Don't be soft. Don't be lazy. And we also need this same hope that the writer gives us that our Savior knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like. He gets the path we're on. And so we have someone with us, not only now, but for whatever we have to go through now, we can know for a fact that on the other side of this life, it is going to be golden. It's going to be worth it. And all of this is really going to pale in comparison. So That's it. We're going to be reminded that Jesus not only is one of us, but He is supreme over everything. And He rules everything, including the crazy that we find ourselves in now. So that is our big introduction. Now I want to take Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2 and just kind of obviously really quickly cover these two fabulous chapters. And um, the first one is, let's read Hebrews 1. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? So that's why I'm calling this lesson More Than a Pretty Face. So much of how we view Jesus is, oh, that pretty stained glass wind at Cornell or... Oh, those pieces of art, the works of art I've seen in museums or you know, galleries or in my art books in school. And this is one of the reasons I think why God told us not to make graven images of God because there's just no way we can just even contain. I mean, in a way, the whole Old Testament has been trying to express this Messiah and finally... Finally, Jesus breaks on the scene. Finally, no one has to try to capture it. Jesus just comes. And we see almost like the Shekinah glory breaking out with those angels when Jesus was born is the writer of Hebrews is like, here it is. This is it. You know, it's almost like he has this. Verses one through four, like the big opening number. Um, I was like watching TV, doing something, cleaning or cooking, and Indiana Jones. The second one came out, which is my least favorite, so don't even waste your time watching it. But the first scene is this huge, fabulous musical number, and like a, and like it's I think it's somewhere like in China, so it's all these gorgeous red costumes and singing and fans and just then there's a whole shootout, and it's just Fantastic, and it's like a big bang opening to that movie. And I feel like that's what the writer's doing right from the start. Here we go. All this stuff we've been trying to tell you in the Bible, but now Jesus is here, and we get to meet him as like a prophet, priest, and king. Um, he reveals God. That's what the prophets were doing in the Old Testament. They were revealing God what he wanted. Um, his character Um, we've had songs we've had proverbs we've had stories we've had you know just prophecies trying to show us this messiah and jesus reveals god in the best way god says if you want to know me look at jesus he's an exact replica of me He reflects my glory. But he's also a priest in that he has made a sacrifice. Um, He has purged our sins. And then he's a king. He rules. He He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty ruling. He has sat down because he's finished his work and he rules over everything. And then the writer starts comparing to angels. Now, we may not think that that's a great thing to do. I mean, our view of angels may be Cupid on Valentine's Day, or maybe just because we finished Christmas, we have really pretty angel themes in our decorations. But the Old Testament listeners um, and these listeners to the the first time they heard Hebrews, angels were a big deal. They were a big deal to their religion, to their their. Faith because the angels had played a big role since the beginning. If you remember the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were sent out, God sent angels to guard it. So from Genesis on to when Jesus is born, we're seeing angels on the scene. You see Abraham seeing angels alongside the angel of the Lord. You see um, the angels that, you know, maybe uh, fed. Elijah, um, you see uh, just angels and angels. But, but another thing that really I did not know for a while is angels were present in the giving of the Mosaic Law. So like the Ten Commandments, like I think there are angels there doing that. So I don't know what that looks like. I certainly don't think it was how Charlton Heston's movie went down because I didn't see any angels there. But angels were like a big deal and they carried authority Think about the angel appearing to Mary, to Joseph. They were messengers of God. If you saw an angel, you would probably wet your pants. I mean, you would think, is this God? That's how intimidating and big deal angels were. And he's saying, uh, Jesus is better than the angels. He's higher than the angels. He's the son versus the messenger. He is ruling forever. The angels aren't, they're they're messengers, they're workers, they're sent here and there. They are ruled. They follow direction and Jesus is the one directing. Also we see that Jesus is eternal. He was there at creation and he is going to make creation right. We'll see in the next chapter that part of what Jesus does is he reinstates mankind as being in charge of creation like they were in Genesis 1 and 2. And he rules over all, including these angels, sending them to do stuff for us. So, But, but as much as Jesus is the ultimate, the superior power, he is the deal, he is the last word from God. on If you want to know God, I can't say more than look at Jesus. He is also one of us. And that is where chapter 2 takes us. So I want us to just skip ahead a little bit in chapter 2. And I want us to read starting in verse 8. Um, Let's see. Uh, tell you what, let's, yeah. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection in subjection to him but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone so I just want to pause right there really quickly okay this is when we hear a human name Jesus the Hebrew writer is saying and he has a human name this this person that is God who is the just the reflects God is God is the ruler of all. He has a human name. He has a, he's a man. His name is Jesus. And this person that is above the angels was made for a little while under the angels. He was made less than angels. He was limited. He he had a human body. He he had to eat. He had to find a bathroom. He stumped his toe. All those things. Okay, let's keep reading in verse 10. Like, why did he have to be man? For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons, thus you and me, to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, Here we see Jesus taking on our world, taking on our flesh, being a fully a man, just like he's fully God. And I know that is hard to understand, but it's true. And he was made, um, another translation is, captain of our salvation or hero of our salvation or a trailblazer or author of our salvation. And this, this is kind of like the idea, again, not an athlete. So I never would have been chosen as the, team captain of the basketball team, for instance. Um, even the year I was on the basketball team and it was so bad I wore the old uniforms because I was so far down the bench. They ran out of the good uniforms and put the rest of us losers in the old, old uniforms. I never would have been made team captain. I didn't know what it was like to do a layup. I was not, I didn't know what it was like to, to win a big game because I was cool under pressure. Um, so I couldn't have encouraged my teammates, and they wouldn't have followed me because they were like, "What season Susan you know about basketball?" No, they followed the team captain who was good at basketball, and th- we see the same idea, and we see a little bit of this foreshadowed of the kind of Messiah we're going to have in Ke- when David fights Goliath. He was a representative for all God's people against Goliath, who is the representative of all the the Philistines, the enemy of God. In the same way Jesus is our representative, our captain, our hero, as he stands against Satan. Because Satan does have a right to call us his because we're guilty and we're sinners and we deserve to die. And Jesus says no and actually beats Satan by dying. And he is our captain of our salvation. So... He is putting Genesis 1 and 2 back in order because now He's calling us family again. Now He's calling us sons and brothers. We have a family name. We are seeing how we're getting back to how it was in Genesis 1 and 2. And then the best part of this, as a trailblazer, not only does He make there a way for us to be saved, but He comes back and walks with us knowing that we get thirsty, knowing what it's like to be sad, knowing what it's like to lose someone, knowing what it's like to be scared and lonely and abandoned. He knows what it's like to weep for a friend. And he has faced the same temptations of the devil and resisted. And he gives us all that. He knows what it's like to deal with a demanding work schedule and close friends misunderstanding him and just to have the weight of the world literally on his shoulders. So he can totally understand when you're overwhelmed with your home being a wreck and kids all running fever. He can understand what it's like to go to work and feel like you wore the wrong shoes and you've got a presentation and your desk is a wreck. He knows what it's like to face death. The one thing he knows what it's like that we will never know is to be fully abandoned by our Father. Because that, he was the only one who could do that and come back. And he did. He was resurrected. So in conclusion, I want to read the first few chapters of chapter 2 because this gets to the main thrust of why this writer is, is really hammering this through. Therefore, we must pay closer, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. No wonder the writer comes out early with this warning and this application. You've got to pay attention. We have got to pay attention, women, to our salvation. We have got to pay attention to the work Jesus has done for us on our behalf and continues to do alongside us, holding our hand in this path toward forever. So one of the goals of this study is to do just that. We want to be earnest. We want to listen well. We want to make it through. We want to cross that Jordan River with the well done good and faithful servant ringing in our ears. And God will make sure that happens. But somewhere between then and now, just like they became lazy, we can too. And we may not be ready for what's coming. And so I want this Bible study and I may have to sound like the bad teacher. I may have to sound like the coach or Mrs. Arnold, when I said you got to do your homework, you got to sit down and find a way to listen to God, to pray to God. You got to put it on your priority list to get to your group, to get to church, to remember to be among your friends who remember and who will remind you of God and His powerful Jesus. We need to 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 listen to that "Are you ready?" mantra of the New Testament of the virgins. Do you have enough oil to lamp the light? Are you ready for the bridegroom? Um, about the, the warnings of the home, like the master's going to return. Be ready. It, it's going to be in the middle of the night. And we hear this writer echoing those same reasons of why and how to turn your eyes on Jesus and to follow him with confidence, with joy and strength that he gives us. So let's use this study to re-engage with what Jesus has done for us and how we can enjoy this salvation that, you know, Scripture says, I think it's in 1 Peter, the angels just want to look at it. They're so mesmerized by what God is doing with us that they desire to look into these things. That's how wonderful a deal we've got. So let's go forward together and excited to discover that and more of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good and I do not feel it every day and I need to be reminded. So thank you for your word and thank you for this writer that we can almost taste his excitement, but we also hear the urgency in his voice. And I pray that you would be faithful to us in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would beat in us and it would sing. He would sing um, the same song in our hearts that we would grow more mature, more ready for persecution, more ready for our own doubts and our own fears, and that we would be like Jesus, who is the captain of our salvation. In Christ's name, amen.